0: Welcome to today's Jolt, it's the 5th of December, I'm Sam Morgan, your host. This week the show is coming at you on a daily basis, so be sure to tune into the episodes every weekday. Stay tuned later in this episode for a look at why choosing a COP Climate Summit host is proven to be such a difficult process. First let's take a look at what has been happening in the world of energy and climate, including of course all the other comings and goings at COP28. In Dubai at COP28, negotiators are still hard at work in their huddles, drafting the global stocktake text, which will form the main end of summit conclusions. The latest draft mentions an orderly and just phase-out of fossil fuels, and maintains ambitious language from the Glasgow summit two years ago on subsidies and killing coal. The text is also currently leaning towards pushing countries to include all greenhouse gases, not just CO2 in the next round of emission reduction targets. Still lots of disagreement on the finance parts, but sources at the summit are still striking an optimistic tone. A lot can still change, though. 2,456 lobbyists affiliated with the fossil fuel industry have been admitted to COP28, according to new figures. The Kick Big Polluters Out Coalition says that number is four times the amount that turned up to COP27, which itself set a new record. The number of oil, gas, and coal salesmen is so high they outnumber every single country's delegation except for Brazil, which has turned up in force as part of its prepped for hosting COP 30 in 2025. More on that later. Clean energy advocates, environmentalists, and indigenous groups are of course lobbyists too, but they are not selling something that is fundamentally and scientifically proven to be ruinous for the planet. Just saying. <laughs> Still at COP, and Spanish energy firm Iberdrola and UAE counterpart Mazda have agreed to co-invest 15 billion euros in key markets like the US, UK and Germany. Wind power and green hydrogen will be priority investment targets. Talks are already underway to channel more cash into a massive wind farm off the east coast of England. G7 countries have signed a clean energy partnership with Ukraine at COP28. The group of wealthy nations says it is committed to helping Ukraine meet its climate and energy targets, as well as building energy resilience and security. The partnership is designed to act as a forum so that the likes of the EU, UK, and US can share knowledge on issues like electricity market reform, renewable energy auctions, and energy efficiency measures. European plane maker Airbus has indicated that it may seek taxpayer support for its next generation fleet of aircraft. Airbus is working on hydrogen propulsion and is aiming to put a short range plane in the skies by 2035. CEO Guillaume Froy told the Financial Times that the firm can afford the program, but it might need some support. Industry subsidies are a hot topic at the moment. Europe is still reeling from the US's multi-billion dollar inflation reduction act as well as trade tensions triggered by a dispute over state support for Airbus and Boeing. We might well be seeing the latest chapter of this particular saga being written in front of our very own eyes. India's top clean energy producer will invest $22 billion in its operations by 2030. That comes on top of a $70 billion investment pledge Adani Energy made only last year, as part of plans that would make it the biggest clean energy company in the world. At last count, Adani had more than 20 gigawatts of projects in the pipeline, including ones that are already operating. The investments will also be used to build gigafactories that will manufacture solar panels, wind turbines, electrolyzers and other green tech. Mauritania could soon play host to the world's largest clean energy park. A Dutch company has applied for permission to build a renewables hub with a capacity of 60 gigawatts. Solar and wind power would be paired with 35 gigawatts of hydrogen-producing electrolysers. It's estimated that the park could generate 4 million tonnes of green hydrogen and 18 million tonnes of green ammonia every year. Production costs are predicted to be less than half of those in northern Europe, making it a very attractive investment opportunity. The first part of the project is expected online in 2028, and the final stage by 2035. Another interesting part of this plan is that the project will produce a lot more desalinated water than it needs for its own uses, so that surplus could be used by local communities, businesses, and industries. And Germany could fix its big budget shortfall simply by eliminating tax breaks for the auto sector the Environment Agency says. More than 17 billion euros in perks for wealthier motorists and company cars, as well as higher diesel taxes, could plug a funding gap caused by a recent court decision. Constitutional judges decided that a 60 billion euro climate fund was illegal, and the government has been scrambling ever since to shore up its finances. Other potentially controversial taxes on the table include jet fuel levies for domestic flights and a meat tax. The government has until the end of this week to submit its 2024 budget to Parliament if it wants it signed off before Christmas. That's it for your news today. Now let's take a closer look at the story of the moment. The United Arab Emirates' hosting of the ongoing COP28 summit has stoked controversy right from the off. The Gulf nation's huge fossil fuel industry, made it a seemingly incompatible host of an event whose main objective is ostensibly to decarbonise the global economy. But that's politics, baby. It's not the first time that the host of a COP has proven to be controversial, and it certainly won't be the last, if current developments are anything to go by. We still don't know where COP will be taking place this time next year, so you can't even book your hotel room yet. Under the UN's rotation system, it will most likely be somewhere in Europe, particularly Eastern Europe. But an agreement on a host has been impossible to secure because of, surprise, surprise, Russia. Moscow has vetoed any country that has stuck its hand up to host, including Czechia and Bulgaria. Armenia and Azerbaijan both indicated interest, but because of their ongoing conflict, both sides are vetoing each other. That leaves some interesting non-EU options in the Balkans, including Albania, Bosnia-Herzegovina, Montenegro, North Macedonia and Serbia, who could yet put in bids. Remember the scale of COP, though. You need facilities and venues that can host up towards 100,000 people. There aren't many options that fulfil that criteria in those countries, unfortunately. A decision is due at COP over the next two weeks because PrEP needs to have, ideally, started yesterday. Some delegates I talked to have indicated that Albania and North Macedonia are considered good candidates from a climate leadership point of view, as both aim to go green rather quickly. But if a decision cannot be made, then the venue will default to Bonn, where the COP secretariat is located. If no progress at all can be made on someone at least hosting by proxy, then the current chair would remain in place for another year. That is currently the UAE's Sultan Ahmed al Jaber, who, just as a reminder, has claimed that there is no science behind demands to get rid of fossil fuels. Looking further forward still, and Brazil is already confirmed to be COP30 host, due to take place in 2025 in the Amazonian city of Belem. Here's what Claudio Angelo, from Brazil's Climate Observatory, had to say about that decision.
1: COP29 doesn't have a host country yet. It's going to certainly be awful for the climate, but that might be a good thing for COP30 because the crappier previous conference yet, uh, the better <laughs> and the more hopeful uh, uh, the next conference becomes. But I think the outlook for for belen is is very positive we we are seeing it as an opportunity for you know putting pressure on say amazon governors who are they don't have a very good grasp on what being a climate leader means they think climate change is just a pretty fundraising line that they use to get money from from developed countries But they are not willing to deliver much in exchange. So COP30 might be an opportunity for civil society and academia to teach those guys (laughs) that they must, you know, walk the talk and actually fight deforestation in their states. Mr. Barbalho, the governor of Pará, the state where where the host city is, uh, was very outspoken about the benefits of oil and gas for the development of the Amazon. Just he began to, you know, soften his discourse in favor of oil in the in the latest months. Uh, and of course this is gonna leave Brazil totally exposed. And again, we see it as a good thing. Brazil must be exposed and, and Brazil must be pushed to, to deliver on, on its promises. Uh, I think the COP is, is a good opportunity. And of course, it's an opportunity to, to bring to light even Lula's many contradictions on, on, on climate change and energy.
0: Claudio spoke to me about Brazil's climate role for a recent episode of The Policy Dispatch, one of Foresight's other podcasts. If you'd like to hear the rest of that conversation, then there'll be a link in the show notes. Let's jump forward another year to COP31. Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan confirmed last week that his country is interested. Australia, too, is dead set on hosting in 2026 as well. I spoke to Polly Hemin, the director of the Australia Institute's Energy and Climate Programme, about whether that's a good move or not.
2: The role of the COP president is to really try and raise climate ambition uh, amongst the the signatories to the Paris Agreement. And Australia is the world's third largest fossil fuel exporter. Just it's, it's sort of important not just to focus on the current context. It's also really important to consider that Australia's been gaming UN climate agreements for decades solely to protect its fossil fuel industry. Um, it's signed pledges. It has no intention of meeting. Uh, it's argued consistently and successfully to water down language. It's It literally, under the Kyoto Protocol, managed to somehow negotiate an increase in emissions while other Wealthy nations were were all being told to reduce theirs. Uh, it's gamed international accounting frameworks. So we've just seen what's happened with the UAE, where it was revealed that the president of COP28, Al jabbar was planning on using COP28 as a an opportunity to strike, you know, oil trading deals. If Australia was to host a COP in good faith. Would not only, you know, and to try and um, compel and incentivise global climate ambition, it would not only mean a reversal of all the loopholes that Australia's fought for over decades to achieve, it would require our own government to advocate for drastically slashing fossil fuel supply and consumption. You know, what incentive is there by the Australian government to raise the climate ambition of? say Japan or Korea or India, all those countries that we love selling our gas and coal to. You might not think it if you've seen movies like Crocodile Dundee. We're an incredibly sophisticated middle power and we use our foreign policy and our trade agreements and multilateral forums, whether it's the, the COP or the Pacific Islands Forum or the, the G20 to our advantage. And is Australia, it's like hosting a party knowing you're going to be punched in the face. Of course, Australia is not going to set itself up to have more climate ambition. And the analogy that's used here in Australia is that this could be Australia's Olympic moment on climate. So the idea is that if we champion Australia enough, and if there is enough scrutiny and kind of encouragement on the Australian government that it might somehow change its way. But if you look, if you want to keep using that Olympics analogy, the Olympic Games are a case study in the way that nation states have used them to sports wash their reputations. I don't see, given the, the number of times this strategy is demonstrably failed, why Australia is going to be, any different to any other country who's promising to make change or others are giving it the benefit of the doubt that it will make change in exchange for being bestowed this honour of hosting this really prestigious event and then actually seeing any change.
0: No one has said anything about COP32 yet, but there is interest in COP33. That's 2028 for those of you that have lost count of the years. Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi said last week that India is interested in hosting. There's a general election next year in what is now the world's most populous country, so a lot can change before then. But India would make a very, how should I put this, interesting host? Investing big in renewable energy, but still fueling much of its economy with fossil fuels, plus exporting lots of them to the rest of the world. Sound familiar? The old saying might well be right in this case. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Many thanks for joining me today. I'll be back on Friday with another episode of The Jolt. Remember that we're now coming to you every day. My colleague Kira Taylor will be taking the reins for the first time tomorrow. You won't want to miss that. Foresight Editor-in-Chief David Weston and CEO Kasper Theo Karstensen are both actually at COP at the moment, recording episodes of our other podcast series, Energy Enablers and Talking Transitions with EY. You'll be able to listen to the first of those later this week, so do stay tuned for that. The Jolt is free to air, so please do show us some love and share the episodes if you enjoyed listening. Thanks to everyone at Foresight for helping make The Jolt possible and shout out to Mute Island for providing the theme music. Until next time, thanks for being a part of The Jolt.